Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Final Word on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. It's December 22nd. I'm your host, Gabriela Silva-Ponte. It is officially holiday season, so for those of you that celebrate, happy holidays. Hopefully this will be a time during which you can see family and spend time with those you love the most. Today, we'll be covering stories from Air Canada's fines, to the Bring a Friend to the Moss campaign, to the Oya oh yeah Career Lead program. As always, let's first take a look at today's top news, as reported by Sharanki Kalantharasa. It is Friday, December 22nd, and I'm your host, Sharanki Kalantharasa, reporting for Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. And here are our top stories from today. A Toronto police officer is allegedly charged with assault. Air Canada is fined $97,500 after failing to assist a patient in a wheelchair. There are new immigration options for extended family members of Canadians in Gaza. So let's get into it. For the first headline, a Toronto police officer is allegedly charged with assault. The charge was laid by the Toronto Police's Provincial Standards Unit after a woman was assaulted during a dispute on Wednesday, according to CBC News. According to the CBC News outlet, Constable Samir Kara, who has been in service for nearly 14 years, was suspended after pay. For the second headline, Air Canada is fined $97,500 after failing to assist a patient in a wheelchair. According to CBC News, the Canadian Transportation Agency issued a fine on Air Canada for $97,500 after a passenger in a wheelchair was forced to get himself off the plane with a lack of assistance. On August 30th, Rodney Hodgins of with spastic cerebral palsy was told by the flight attendants on the Air Canada's flight in Las Vegas that there was no available assistance to get him off the plane. CBC News said in a report that this was one of the two incidents this year regarding Air Canada's failure to serve customers with disabilities effectively. In fact, Air Canada's crew members were called to a meeting in Ottawa with the Minister of Transportation after the second incident had occurred. Air Canada said that they will make sure a revised plan for aiding those in wheelchairs and those with disabilities is made as soon as possible. For the third headline, there are new immigration options for extended family members in Gaza of Canadians. According to Global News, the Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Minister Mark Miller made an announcement on Thursday saying that the extended family members of Canadian citizens or permanent residents will be able to seek temporary refuge in Canada for up to three years. 
These extended relatives include spouses, common law partners, children, and grandchildren. The relatives also include siblings. This was announced due to the ongoing conflict in Gaza, putting the lives of many at risk. According to Global News, Miller said that hundreds of people will be eligible for temporary residence, but further stated that he is not able to provide an exact amount. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau expressed his support by stating that Canada is trying to get more people from Gaza safe here. Trudeau further went on to state that Canada has provided temporary residents to over 600 residents of Gaza for safety, but is continuing to make efforts to bring over more people. Well, that was it for me today, and let's take a look at the weather for the rest of the week, including the holidays. Today, the weather is at an average of 1 degree Celsius, with precipitation rates at 0%, humidity rates at 79%, and winds from, from 24 kilometers an hour. The weather is described as fairly cloudy, as there is not going to be much sunlight for the day. Tomorrow, temperatures are expected to rise to up to 4 degrees Celsius in Toronto, with precipitation rates at 45%, humidity rates at 89% and winds from 8, 14 kilometers per hour. It is expected to see light rain on Saturday. On Sunday, temperatures will stay at 4 degrees Celsius. However, the precipitation rate is expected to be 0%, humidity rates at 93%, and winds at 8 kilometers per hour. There are no expected showers or rain on Sunday. And lastly, on Monday, Christmas Day, temperatures are expected to go a little bit up to 5 degrees Celsius, precipitation rates at 0%, humidity rates at 95%, and winds ranging from 14 to 15 kilometers per hour. It looks like we're going to have a cloudy Christmas this year. Again, that was Sharanki Kalantharasa. Thanks, Sharanki. Meanwhile, the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association has launched the Bring a Friend to the Mosque campaign. According to the email sent to Met Radio, this campaign seeks to combat Islamophobia and anti-Semitism. I spoke with campaign manager Jari Kudrat about the Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association. The Ahmadiyya Muslim Youth Association is Canada's largest Muslim youth group. It has over 115 chapters all across Canada, going as far out west to Delta, B.C., and from all the way east to the border to St. John's, Newfoundland. And it is a dynamic Muslim youth organization that has over 6,000 Muslim youth that actively participate in community initiatives, religious initiatives, giving back to the communities, organizing food drives, blood drives, charity runs, various faith outreach activities, such as the Bring a Friend to the Mosque Day, which we'll be talking about, um, and so many more things to help communities at a grassroots level and 
have an impact that can be beneficial for society. Kudrat discussed the Bring a Friend to the Mosque campaign and why it's so important. The Bring a Friend to the Mosque campaign was launched um, in light of some of the recent Islamophobia acts that have been taking place and also the heightened and polarized situation around the world. Um, as it's had a lot of people take a sudden interest in Islam um, to see the resolve of, of some of these you know, innocent civilians in Gaza and how they're reacting and responding to the atrocities that are being perpetrated to them. And so many people have started to research and learn or, and, and look out for what the Holy Quran and Islam teaches. So we felt like we'd use this opportunity to open the doors to all of our mosques across Canada and really invite people and give them a first-hand experience of like, hey, here's what a mosque looks like on the inside. Here's what, you know, Muslims are like. This is a great chance to come and learn and speak. And we were overwhelmed by the response, I'll be honest with you. So we set up a website called mosquevisit.ca and we encourage Canadians to register on there and then we'd connect them with a you know mosque that's near their vicinity. And we were really happy with the amount of people that reached out and it reminded us of how amazing Canadians really are. And there's obviously those fringe, you know, group of people that may be perpetrating violence or hate um, and, you know, doing certain acts that may be violent in nature, deemed perhaps, you know, terroristic in nature, not speak for the vast majority of Canadians. I think really our perspective is not so much like fighting a specific um, activity, but it's more so like bringing about a positive reformation in the society. And we feel like if we do our job in doing proper outreach and teaching people about the beautiful teachings of Islam, and of any religion rather, that it would reduce the amount of hate crimes and the violence that takes place in our societies. Um, His Holiness Hazrat Mina Masur Ahmed, who's the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Jamaat, globally, he is often encouraging us that it is our primary and foremost objective to go out and spread the true beautiful teachings of Islam, because if we do that, then people will understand and recognize the beauty of this faith, which will then lead to more mutual understanding, societal cohesion, and just an uplifting atmosphere and environment for our future progenies and generations. So that for us is a an absolutely pivotal aspect of everything that we do is to remove the misconceptions that exist about religious faith and show society how islam as a religion can truly liberate a person from the shackles of society and give them inner peace and allow them to find contentment in their heart in their lives despite everything else that may be going on he said anyone can participate in the campaign Absolutely, absolutely. That's the whole purpose of the campaign. I mean, Muslims are, you know, they go to the mosque all the time. Um, the whole uh, whole point of this initiative and this campaign is to open our doors to Canadians. Um, and if anybody wants to visit the mosque, then they just have to go to mosquevisit.ca, and then they can be connected with a local mosque near them. So lots of Canadians have already been going to mosquevisit.ca, and they've been registering and signing up for a tour, and then they come to the mosque. And so far, like... The, the feedback has been amazing, and everybody seems to have been very, very happy um, with, you know, joining some of these programs. Most recently, the Betul Islam Mosque, located in Vaughan, held an event with the campaign. 
Kudrat spoke about that. Um, so the Bethel Islam Mosque is one of the most iconic mosques in Canada. Um, it was inaugurated on October 17th in 1992. And at that time, there were, you know, members of parliament. There was the, at the time, the worldwide head, the fourth worldwide head, Hazrat Mirza Tahir Ahmed, um, you know, may God be pleased with him, who inaugurated the mosque in, in the early 90s. And it is to date one of the largest and most prolific mosques um, of the greater Toronto area. So we held our biggest Bring a Friend to the Mosque program at this specific mosque. And this was held at, you know, on December 17th at 3.30 p.m. is when we had invited guests. But to our, to our surprise, at 3.15, we already had people trickling in. And so, you know, that really showed us the excitement that was out there for people to come check out a mosque and to learn more about Islam. Um, and, you know, we were really, really pleased with some of the feedback that we received from the guests as well. So <clears throat> we launched a campaign on a very short notice. So our, you know, mosquevisit.ca was only up for about a day or two. And despite that, we had over 50 people um, at the mosque. And later in the evening, like, you know, we ended up having, like, with, you know, even some of the Muslims combined, like over three 300 people. Um so we were we were really really pleased with the turnout and the guests. I mean, they were so happy. I mean, you could see the smiles on their faces, um, the genuine appreciation, <laughs> and just the amount that they they learned and what they took back. It was it was very very um, promising. And you know, it's always good to see such a good turnout at these programs because a lot of the volunteers when they you know put in all that effort um, and they see the outcome, then it just reinforces that the good work that they're doing is not in vain and that it's really helping to shed some light on the beautiful teachings of Islam. Finally, local journalist Owen Thompson spoke with founder Allison Duke about the OYA Black Arts Coalition's Career Leap program. Here's Owen with more on that. My name is Owen Thompson with the Local Journalism Initiative. The Oya oh yeah Black Arts Coalition and Media Group has celebrated their fifth year of helping black creatives get into the entertainment industry. Oya oh yeah is a Toronto-based organization that provides multiple programs to black creatives. To talk about the programs and their five years in service, I spoke to Allison Duke, one of the founders of Oya. Oh yeah. We talk about the past, present, and future of the Oya oh yeah programs and the benefits of mentorship. Okay, so to start out, would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Allison Duke. I am the co-founder of Oya Media Group and also Oya Black Arts Coalition. And how long have you been working at the coalition? At the, the coalition, uh, Gaddy and I founded this uh, coalition in 2020, I believe. <laughs> I keep trying to get the dates right because there's a lot going on with what we do. There's a lot of elements from the coalition that actually began with our production company, and at one point, we were really busy, uh, and we still are really busy with our production company, Oya Media Group. We decided to uh, start a not-for-profit and get, you know, create an umbrella entity to house a lot of our community-based programs. OBAC, mm -hmm. as you know, is coming up to their fifth year anniversary, and it's been 
five years being black people in the creative space find it find their foothold and find their place within the industry and diversifying it so why is it important to have this this partner program and helping be black people within the industry it's very important to have programs like what we do in oh yeah black arts coalition uh i've been in the industry for about 20 years and my journey in the industry you know working in television producing for de- television and also um, as an independent artist, I see that there's not a lot of Black people at the table, not a lot of Black people getting, um, you know, their productions greenlit. And, you know, that causes a lot of inequity um, in our film and television uh, industry. You know, we thought that we could support, you know, leveling the, the playing field, providing some, you know, equity uh, seeking programs to support people who are, you know, seriously want to get into the industry, or if they were in the in, in the industry for a long time and they're in their mid career and they just didn't know where to turn to go to the next level. So you, you mentioned that uh, when you first started out in the industry twenty years ago, that there were some issues and roadblocks you faced. Well, what are some of those? issues and roadblocks that you face that you're trying to, I guess, correct with OYA and the OBAC LEAP program? Yeah, some of the issues that we that I faced as a young person was finding mentors. You know, when you have very few Black people in the industry at senior levels, then there's very, <laughs> the, the pool of who you can go for mentorship is really, really small. So what we try to do is create community uh, for those of the, those people who are out there in the industry working, you know, and achieving, uh, you know, open their eyes to people who are looking for mentorships. And it just doesn't have to be, you know, Black people or racialized people, like all people who are, who are willing to um, mentor Black uh, creatives, getting them to open their, their doors to them. Um, and then also getting people to look at Black people to hire. Oh, sorry, a lot of the barriers are um, around, there's a lot of low expectations around being Black in in Canada. People sometimes don't expect that you are qualified or you have the gifts that you do, even though you might be in the industry for many, many years. So, you know, doing a lot of anti-Black racism work around that. And obviously funding, you know, funding, not getting supported for your projects. Um, and sometimes it's it's a matter of not getting access to the details that you might know, that details that you might need to know to actually, you know, fill out a, a, a application properly. Or maybe it's, you know, you don't have the right corporate structure or understanding of uh, different things in the industry like, you um, cash flow or tax credits, like all of this information I had to learn along the way. And it was hard to find (laughs) initially when I started. So now that Gaddy and I, you know, understand that we want to share that information with other people. When it comes to mentorship, how exactly does that, how does mentorship help people? Well, mentorship helps people because you, when you're stuck, you have someone to talk to. Or when you're wondering, you know, what to do next, you have someone to go to it. And it's usually, you know, you want to mentor, you want to pick 
a mentor who's been through it, who has that experience, so they can kind of guide you through this the landmines <laughs> of you know being in this industry. And there's many. And so that's very, very important. You know, I didn't have that many mentors growing up and, and finding my way in this industry. And I believe it took me a long time, longer, much longer than necessary if I, you know, knew where to go and and knew who to talk to. Uh, but mentorship is really, really important. Right now, I probably mentor about, you know, six or seven young people in the industry, and they're doing quite well um, at, a, at a faster clip than I did getting where, you know, I am now. And it's really exciting to see. It's just having that person that you can go to who is a sounding board for, you know, your dreams and your desires in the industry. And they're able to guide you through it and maybe even, you know, connect you with, with folks who can help you. You know, another aspect of being a mentor is, you know, when somebody needs some kind of like recommendation or a letter of reference, I'm there to provide it as long as they meet the demands or, you know, meet the the qualifications, I'm there to provide it. And that's really, really helpful. Yeah, uh, that's fantastic. So I was going to actually ask about seeing as there's a fifth, it's the fifth year of the organization from where you started in your first year and where you're at now, uh, what has been, I guess, the biggest change? The biggest change that I can see from when we started five years ago with the OEI Emerging Filmmakers Program to now, and this is with all of our other programs as well, and also providing opportunities for over 150 people over that span of time. The biggest change that I see is a real sense of community. These folks that are going through our programs, they're not just thinking about their careers. They're actually working with each other and building, eradicating some of those barriers that, you know, occurred was, you know, here even just like a decade ago or, you know, five years ago when they started. And that's because they're, you know, they're not afraid to work with each other. Uh, that was a big stigma. We were always told, oh, don't work with other Black people. That was a thing that people said. And now you see, you know, folks working together and building and um, not just with, you know, other Black youth or other, you know, people who are mid-career, but actually getting into the industry and working with, you know, everyone in the industry. And that's a very powerful thing. You know, I think people are now starting to um, let go of that mantra that, you know, Black filmmakers are inferior or they don't have the skills. Um, they can see them thriving, especially, you know, when you see them out there in the film festivals and winning awards and doing all these amazing things and creating prototypes for XR and, and doing really well. You, you know, it's just exciting. And I just can't wait to see what people do in the next five or 10 years. So speaking of the next, you know, five, 10 years in the future of this program and where do you see the future of this going? As you said, people are winning awards, there's networks being built, but is there uh, something you were hoping you can branch off to or do better or increase in the next five to 10 years? Yes, that's a great question. Um, you know, yeah, everybody's, you know, it seems like people are doing great and, you know, there's a lot going on in terms of community building. But what I really want to see in the next five years is even more uh, diversity within the film and television industry. We have to get the numbers up in terms of, you know, Black people who are hired and Indigenous people who are hired 
before, you know, you know, five, 10 years ago, the push was to get more people of, um, in terms of five, 10 years ago, the push was uh, to get more women hired. And, um, you know, that was great to see. But what happened in that push, you can see that Black and Indigenous women were had the lowest employment rates in the film and television and digital media space. We know that racial inequities is a real thing. And we got to get those numbers up across genders, <laughs> across everything. We need to get the numbers up in terms of, you know, Black youth and uh, mid-career folks and also Indigenous folks, getting them more opportunities. Uh, because at the end of the day, people want jobs in this industry. People want to be able to make their work in this industry. So we have to increase those numbers in terms of people who are funded and also people who are getting employment opportunities in the film and television space. So you mentioned uh, just a tiny bit earlier that uh, OBAC, through this OBAC program, there's been over 150 people within the last five years. How many people do you typically, I guess, onboard or bring into the program every year? Well, that's a good, that's a great question. Um, every year, in terms of the OYA Emerging Filmmakers Program, we started out with like 20 every year, 2024 20, every year, and now we're down to 16 just because of capacity. So we get 16 of those every year. Then for um, the Scale Up Immersive Program, which is a sort of like an XR acceleration program for Black-owned businesses, uh, people who want to transition to the immersive media space and build port prototypes, um, and that's a five-year, sorry, a five-month acceleration program. Um, so in that program, there's about 10, I believe there's about 10 folks that um, go through that program. And then for, uh, we also have different types of program, like a business boot camp, and we take 10 businesses on that every year. And then we have um, some master classes. Master classes, we don't count those numbers in our like overall people who we support. We only call, count the people who are in immersive programs. So over the last five years, there's about like you know 150 plus people who are in intensive programs, like more than like three to four months. Uh, so so our programs tend to be like either three to eight months. So um, yeah, there's a lot of people that's been in these long sort of like long-term accelerator intensive programs but our master class programs these are programs that we just have for the community you know we get up to 30 people um, in those master classes and and then we also have um, two other programs career bridge and career leap career bridge is a program really innovative that we we discovered that one of the barriers for Black youth entering the industry and also mid-career folks is that they they didn't have appropriate reels or they didn't know how to um, demonstrate what was in their portfolio. So we have a program where people uh, get some mentorship on what the reel should look like, what you put in your portfolio when you're job hunting. And that's really good. People are getting some support there. And uh, that's making a difference. And then we also have a new program called Career Leap, um, which we place individuals into um, into jobs as a job placement program. We partner with various production companies in in the city. You know, people go out for jobs, and we pay we pay up to ten thousand dollars for the placement. So we're actually paying production companies to hire. Uh, you know, people who are qualified for certain positions that they're looking for. And that program is just, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a great program. If you have, you know, any kind of 
openings at your production companies and you're thinking, oh, I, I, you know, there's not a lot of racialized people here. We don't have any, you know, black staff. Why don't we try to do something to support some black youth coming up in the industry? We will pay you to hire that person up to $10,000. And that is one way that we're trying to sort of like dig away, you know, at some of those um, inequities that we see out there. And as I said before, you know, job placement is one of them. So that's a program that we started. Uh, that's one of our last program that we started that career leap and career bridge. And um, we see that it's making a difference. And, and that's what we want to continue in the next, you know, five, 10 years. We want to continue that kind of program and also make the emerging filmmakers program because that's, you know, totally a game changer for the industry. That's our show. You've been listening to The Final Word on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Gabriela Silva-Ponte. This episode was put together by myself, Owen Thompson, and Sharanki Kalantharasa. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week.